This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey everybody, welcome to Take the Black Live, the show hello. where we cover all that. What, what's that, Josh? I said hello. Oh, good. Well, I'm talking, so you can say to yourself. Sorry, no, uh, I am Dan Sucka, editor of winnerscoming.net. Uh, Mia Johnson is out this week in extra vacation, so filling in is our friend of the show and song that Josh paid her, Josh Hill. That's right. Editor-in-chief of Fansighted. Editorial director. Editorial director of Fansighted. I'll take I the promotion, you. but... <laughs> Anyway, how are you doing, Josh? I'm doing good. Am I allowed to speak now? Yes. <laughs> um, no, I'm doing good. Orderly here. We have lots of people in the chat. Julie. Julie's always here. Julie's always here. Hey, Julie. Hi. Cool. Anyway, uh, let me start with something that we got to premiere exclusively uh, last week. Game of Thrones is over. We all know that. Um, right now, HBO's put out all these kind of really cool coffee table books on things like the photography of Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. the storyboards, the artwork, and we got to premiere the trailer for the costumes of Game of Thrones. If you're looking to get this, I think it's a really worthy buy. Why don't we look at, into it a little bit right now? Uh, let's do it. Very cool. Josh, are you a costume person? Do you pay attention to the costumes on the show? I do, but not incredibly <laughs> in-depth. It's I appreciate them because sure. there's, there's... I mean, it's like the descriptions that we read in the book, like the, how George R. R. Martin is very elegant in the way that he likes to describe these things. And I feel like the costumes, they translated that. Oh, sure. I'm, I'm mean, fascinated by costumes in general, like with, with oh, yeah? like, like the Oscars. Really? Like the Oscars, yeah. Like whenever that comes around, like just seeing like all of these... Because it adds flavor to whatever yeah. you're going with. It's one so. of those details that you don't always think about. But, I mean, in Game of Thrones, they always did stand out to me. Mm-hmm. Like, there were always some that just, like, popped. Like, yeah. Cersei's dress popped a lot. Whenever mm-hmm. Daenerys wore, always popped a lot. Sansa, her final dress always popped a lot. And, honestly, I'm not being just a, a shiller for this book, though it does look really good. I think it looks really, really interesting. And if HBO wants to send me a free copy to review, I would love that. <laughs> and just to dig into it. But that thing is out November 12th. For seventy-five American dollars, that's a lot of that's a lot of moolah. You think so? Seventy-five yeah. bucks for a heart—it's probably hardback. Well, I mean, I, I would hope so. <laughs> if, I, if I'm going with a uh, coffee table book, it's got to be naturally sturdy. 
It is gorgeous, though. And it'll feature, it like, you know, insights from Michelle Clapton, the costume designer, mm-hmm. and uh, other folk from behind the scenes of the show. I love that aspect of the show, and I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we'll ever get a show, Josh, where things like costumery and special effects and you know, come together like this again to create a whole other world. A whole fantastical other Obviously, world. Obviously, people are going to try, and we'll talk about that a little later. We are. But first, um, I thought, I, I, I figured we would touch on um, the latest. Uh, chapter in the long saga of people being mad about the end of Game of Thrones. Just real quick. Yes. Um, not for long, because I know it's an unpleasant topic for some, but, you know, it, it, it's been months since the Game of Thrones has ended, and it, it, it we're still kind of litigating the end of the show, and more specifically, the reaction to the end of the show. And uh, there's a poll that came out from YouGov recently in advance of the Emmys, where they're nominated for, like, all the Emmys. Mm-hmm. A record number, you know, 32. Ooh. That's, more, that's the most any show's <laughs> been nominated for in a single year. Do you think they're going to win, by the way? Oh, gonna be God, like they're going to clean up. Come on, yeah. This is like the career achievement award that they're going to get. Like, this is... We saw it with all of the shows. Breaking Bad, Mad Men, yes. Sopranos. Like, any The kind difference, of... though, is, like, those shows and... and, and and Lord of the Rings, Turn of the King, that mm-hmm. happened too. Like, those shows didn't get a giant backlash beforehand. It's true. I don't know. The Sopranos finale wasn't necessarily That's beloved true. at the time. That is true. People were, uh, eh, maybe you're right. I, I, I'm sure you are right. I'm mm-hmm. sure they will get everything. But I think it's interesting the circumstances under it, people doing it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Twitter exploding again when they win <laughs> Best Drama and everything else. Anyway, there was a poll that came out just kind of uh, like an actual scientific poll. Not a Twitter poll where it's just like, what do you think? And just like people do that. A real poll that asks people... Were you satisfied with the final season of Game of Thrones? They were asked about all Emmy nominated shows. Yeah. Just to like get like a, I don't know, a um Read a the look. Room. Yes. And 52, 52% of people said they were satisfied or very satisfied with the final season, and 41% unhappy, 7% neutral. Now, I only bring this up because it's an actual, like, scientific actual poll. Yeah. And it, 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 it was being sold around the net, including at Winter is Coming a bit, as like, the majority of people liked Game of Thrones season eight. Yeah. Even though, I mean, f- 52% is a pretty slim margin. It is, but it's still the majority. Like, they do this it with uh, the test screenings for movies. They'll have yeah. the cards, and they'll have, like, the top two is, like, highly recommend or just recommend. And it, it yeah. studies show that, like, people never, ever, ever want to check highly recommend. They always really, just, yeah, because it's like they're saying, Ooh, I highly like, would I actually recommend this? So it's kind of the same thing. Like, was I actually satisfied? I'd be interested in seeing. I relate to that. Well, how many people, I get like a, a test for that? Yeah, well, like, how many people actually checked highly satisfied? I feel like a majority of them were just satisfied, <laughs> so they threw in the highly satisfied because then you don't know. It's like how Netflix is like, eight billion people watched this Adam Sandler movie this weekend, and it's like, I don't know, did they? We have no way of telling. You're just <laughs> saying this, so. Anyway, I think it's need to put that in perspective, and I'm looking forward to next week. We're almost at the Emmys, by the way. We are. It's like in two weeks, like a week and a half. Next week, we'll go into all the nominations, mm-hmm. people who are gonna, who's gonna win what, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. To kind of parsing out who you want to win. Who do you want to win? If Okay, so did you know, by the way, the Best Supporting Actress category is mm-hmm. four out of six Game of Thrones people. Well, yeah. Loading up. Gwendolyn Christie, Brand of Tarth, Lena Headey, Cersei Lannister, Maisie Williams as Arya, and Sophie Turner as Sansa are all nominated. Mm-hmm. They are more than half the people. <laughs> who would you give it to? Um, and also, I think a Killing Eve lady or something is in there. Yeah. Brianna Tarth, let's do it. Yeah, let's you know what? I'm with that you. was a, that was a self that was a grassroots campaign. It was. Didn't well, she, uh, 
she kind of submitted herself. Yes, like she and Theon submitted themselves. I think Gwendolyn um, Christie is like it though. She's like really good. I'd be totally season. okay with I that. Like that. I'm very torn because mm-hmm. I I can say I have arguments for all of them. I think I'm with you though. I'd give it Gwendolyn Christie. I think she's earned it. I think so. Anyway, uh, moving on. So Game of Thrones is over, and we'll come back to this next week with the Emmys. Um, as we mentioned, there's been a lot of news lately about all the things that are going to follow up Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. There's like every day it's a new thing. Like today. They cast the stand, Whoopi Goldberg and Alexander yep. Sarsgaard was, is going to be a new, you know, mm-hmm. hot fantasy property. And everyone's getting on it. Netflix has The Witcher. Amazon has The Wheel of Time, which also got a table read thing today. Mm. Lord of the Rings show. HBO's The Game of Thrones prequel. His Dark Materials, blah, 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 blah. Yep. Um, what do you think the chances are that Apple TV Plus could swoop in and take the fantasy crown with a something like C? The sweeping $15 million an episode post-apocalyptic Ooh. show starring Jason Momoa as a blind warlord named Baba Voss, <laughs> who is trying to protect his two seen children. I thought this was a joke when I heard it the first time. I'm like, what? If you just say it out loud, it sounds kind of uh, interesting. Anyway, th- 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 there's this new trailer for a new show coming up called C from Apple TV, which is what it just said. And I, I wanted to look at it and talk about it just for a minute, because mm-hmm. I think it's emblematic of how everybody is trying to have this giant, you know, fantasy epic show mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And, you know, can it work? Is it going... Are some of these doomed to fail? Like, w- w- which ones are going to rise? And uh, why don't we just watch a little bit so we can have better, better informed chat about it? <laughs> All right, so that wasn't the whole trailer because it goes on for like another minute and a half. Yeah. We don't want to, you know, take up all your time here. You've got time, people. But my question to you is, okay, A, does that look interesting? Mildly interesting. It looks like Game of Thrones. It looks like Game of Thrones it meets like, like the new uh, Snow White reboot that they had. I could see that. It's a little bit of that. I the saw that. Or whatever it was. Why did I see that in the theater? I don't know. But I did. Um, and that looked dark <laughs> and um, a lot of mist you can't really see very well. Um, okay, so you're mildly interested. That's nice. Mm-hmm. I, I guess my big question is, do you think it's worth it to make... Because, okay, they're spending $15 million an episode yes. to have this. You know, it, it's sweeping, it's big. It's not medieval. It's post-apocalyptic, mm-hmm. which is just, you know, medieval, but there are still some buildings yeah. standing. Um, do you think it's worth it to spend that kind of money on this kind of sweeping epic show, what kind of return do you think Apple TV Plus will get for this? Uh, not a good one, because we've seen networks do this before, where it's like, I mean, Hulu okay, eventually got really? the, Hulu eventually got there, and Amazon kind of has gotten there, but they don't have like that one big Game of Thrones show. Like Fleabag was had a moment over the summer, but... Like Handmaid's Tale Handmaid's, has found an audience. Handmaid's Tale has found an audience. But I, and that's the closest thing I can see to a Game of Thrones. And then, but you have like, you know, Schitt's Creek was on what, Pop TV or something it like was, that? It was. That thing persisted. But it only got because it was on Netflix. So, like, you can have these yeah. big shows. And Jason Momoa has been on so, quote unquote epic shows before. Wasn't he on Remember that? Frontier uh, from yeah, Netflix? Yeah, Frontier. Which is kind of like this, honestly, but it was actual history. And that was on future history. Netflix. Sundance Channel, though. Like, the Sundance Channel, like, <laughs> produced that show, I believe. Yeah. So, like, there's. All of these networks try to go for these things. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a hit. Epics, the t- the movie channel, yeah, they have a current show on, which is a remake of uh, Get Shorty. Okay, but it's and it's got Ray Romano on it and all this. Cool. 
you didn't know that existed until I just told you right no now. Idea. And I could be making it up. I am not. But like they have this show with everybody loves Raymond on it about a book and a movie that everybody saw and everybody read and nobody watches it. It's it. not a thing. So like you don't, just, just because you have a big show like this doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily mean all of a sudden you've made it. I don't think that Apple TV is going to hit it off with this necessarily. But, but folks are still, like, are still spending the money on it. They I mean, are, Apple's yeah. Just spending the money on it. It's also making that uh, morning show show with Jennifer Aniston and, uh, you know, uh, Reese Witherspoon yeah. and Steve Carell, which is costing like a million dollars an episode, too, just because their salaries alone. Mm -hmm. um, how long do you do that before you think, okay, we got to get out? Uh, Assuming it doesn't become the next Game of Thrones. I would give it a couple of seasons, at least. Okay, just because if you're investing that much money in there, because now we live in a world where you can go back and rewatch something, like you can rediscover shows. Like there's shows that we're not watching right now, like maybe Get Shorty on Epics. <laughs> and are you watching Get Shorty on Epics? I'm, I'm not. I just know okay. that it exists. But like we could rediscover that in like 10, 15 years. Somebody's gonna go back and be like, "Wow, nobody watched this." Show. There's shows like that on there now. Right now. Mayans MC, the Sons of Anarchy. I've heard of that. But like. People are going to go back and rewatch that, and you're not yeah. necessarily watching it live now because it's not a thing. But here's the problem, though. I mean, if there's so much content out there, if the only way you can discover it is to go back and watch it after it's racked up a few things, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're spending $100 million a season, like, if you don't get a return on that quickly, you might not keep it up. You might oh, not no. be around long enough to rediscover it. No, but it depends on what kind of business Apple wants to get in. Do they want to get in the business of people are buying Apple TV or do they want to get in the business of they'll be able to resell this later? That's very true. And say, there's an evergreen quality to this where we're gonna be able to come back and resell this. Like Disney Plus is gonna be taking things off, putting it back on, and that's how you're gonna be able to, you know, Into and out of the vault. keep subscribers. That's how I'm going to stick around because that, that's a good. You point. have to do that. It, it, it's it's so interesting because I mean, like the old model was obviously you had a TV show mm -hmm. and then you ran it and you sold advertising and if it broke even, you were fine. Yeah. Now it's like you, they don't like. Again, Apple doesn't need for like anybody to watch C mm -hmm. to make it profitable as long as it gets people to sign up for their service. Right. It's just it's a weird like the the incentives are all different now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's pretty good for people like us, though, for viewers. I think so. Because, I mean, we have an embarrassment of crap to watch. <laughs> there's Even, so much to watch. There's so much too to watch. Too much to watch. There is too much to watch. But if enough of it is good, I don't know, at the end of the day, who cares if you have, like, good stuff to watch? Mm. It, just the problem of uh, finding out what is worth watching. Which is where folk like us can yeah. come in, by the way, <laughs> who are going to watch a lot of it the and experts. report back to you. See, everybody's blind except for Jason Momoa's <laughs> kids. <laughs> Wow, what a concept. I do kind of like the Goosey as a concept. I wish I was in the room when they cooked that one up. Probably a lot of coke and balls. I think it's Jason Momoa, but he can't see. How are they going to, like, fight? Okay, we'll, 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 we'll figure that out when it happens, apparently, pretty soon. I think on November, like, 12th, when yeah. Apple TV Plus drops. There you go. Also, in the uh, pop cultural space news, um, identity politics. Mm, so, my favorite. I mean, yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. So, um, James Bond is not, like... Would you call him a genre figure? Mm, I think I would. I think, I think so. James Bond movies are as ridiculous at their core as anything about dragons or uh, spaceships so. and stuff. Yeah. At the end of the day, yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially like the Roger Moore era. Yeah. I mean, I, I know they're trying to like ground it in the past. I mean, everything's it, trying it, to get grounded. I suppose. I'm waiting for the gritty take on like Teletubbies or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to get dark. Yeah. Starting Jason Okay. So um, recently, th 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 there's been this talk about. 
you know, uh, Bond 25, yep. No Time to Die. Mm-hmm. Daniel Craig comes out in April, the last Bond movie he's going to be doing. You know, he's James Bond is like a big cultural icon figure. Uh, has been for a long time. The talk has been, who's going to replace Daniel Craig? And there's been talk, it's a time to make James Bond a woman. Mm-hmm. And former James Bond, my first James Bond, Pierce Brosnan, uh, recently spoke at some film festival and said he's into it. I think we've watched the guys do it for the last 40 years, get out of the way, guys, and put a woman up there. I think it would be exhilarating. It would be exciting, he told The Hollywood Reporter. And, you know, there is this uh, well-sourced report Mm -hmm. that in the next movie, we're not going to get, like, a female James Bond. I think it's part of the problem, like the terminology. Mm-hmm. Lashana Lynch is going to be playing 007, just will inherit James Bond number. Mm-hmm. My question to you is, Josh, is it time for a female James Bond? And what does that mean exactly anyway? Um, I, well, I think it's time to move past, like, old white guy James Bond because James Bond has come to represent more than just that over the years like more than just Sean Connery looking people have identified with the James Bond character and also it goes into if you want to get into the business aspect of it it's like how do you keep a franchise like this viable right it doesn't like the world does not exist the same way it did when even Pierce Brosnan was James Bond like that no, was, and that was completely different. reinventive and remember when people lost their minds when we had a blonde haired blue eyed James Bond I Daniel do. That Craig was a weird one. that was insane so I don't have a I don't have a problem at all with this I actually quite like it because the idea is that and it's been a long standing you know fan theory or whatever that James Bond is just like a code name. It's like 007. It's not necessarily his name. You assume the James Bond identity mm-hmm. when you step into the role, which kind of makes sense when you continue to swap out actors in the same role. It's, you know, you've got your Sean Connery era, which is in the 60s. It's very of the 60s. And then you transition into Roger Moore, which is very much of the 70s and the early 80s. Very so true. you've got these different iterations of Bond. And it fits because they're just different agents assuming the James Bond identity. That's why everybody knows who James Bond is. It's not one person. It's a bunch of people. It's this weird MI6, you know, Secret Service stuff. And it makes sense in that context. And this makes even more sense that we doesn't have to be just one specific type of person. James Bond can be anybody. I think I, I see your point. Um, I disagree on some points. Like, I, I think James Bond exists in a canoe, but, like, he's, he's not Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Where you can just turn to anybody. Yeah. But he's not like, you know, Tywin Lannister either, who is a set character played by a set actor. Mm-hmm. I think James Bond does have like, you know, he has characteristics. One of them is womanizing. Exactly, um, yeah. So think, how do you how do you deal with that in the modern culture? Because we've become a lot smarter about oh, yeah. we're talking gender politics. Well, we've think, become a lot smarter about this. You know, you go back and watch some of the old Sean Connery oh movies. Oh my god. A, he rapes they're, they're a they're a tough rewatch. <laughs> there's there's they're very uncomfortable. Yeah. That Goldfinger scene. I watched it, like, not that long ago. It's like, mm-hmm. how did this get past anybody? Right. Um, I mean, it's interesting in terms of womanizing, because it's kind of like, as he's evolved, like, he, he, he he's always had that aspect, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, whereas in Sean Connery time, you're right, he was treated as, like, he straight up sexually assaults people. Yeah. And it's treated as a cool thing. Whereas with Daniel Craig, like, they kind of, like, made it more, like, it's almost like a toxic thing he has to grapple with. Yeah. It has always sort of been there. I think part of this debate is the terminology. Like, mm. I, I don't know if... When, okay, when you say female James Bond, mm-hmm. do you mean a new character who is a woman who is named James Bond? Or do you mean, like, 
007. Like Lashana Lynch, who is a, playing a different character mm-hmm. named, I don't know, Harriet Spy, who just <laughs> has the code name 007. Yeah, well, then Does that qualify as a female James Bond? I would say so, yes, because... Because if that's true, then I'm on board with that. But then you're changed, because then we go into a different conversation of it's hard enough to get some people on board with a blonde-haired, blue-eyed James Bond. If you go with just 007 is the code name, mm-hmm. then it's no longer James Bond. It's a 007 franchise, which, you know, it's kind of been wishy-washy in between mean, years. It's not necessarily I mean, it, not it, a 007 franchise. It's not like franchise. Bond is in the title. It's not like James Bond, Tomorrow Never Dies. That's true, but like you refer to it as like the James Bond franchise, and you would have to switch your terminology to it's 007, which is fine because we've gone back and forth. Those are interchangeable to me. James Bond and 007. That's why it's the James Bond and attaching it to 007 and just making it a thing. Mm -hmm. That makes the most sense. James Bond can be anybody. I like the 007 idea because Mm -hmm. I I, 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 I don't know. I look back at it and Barbara Broccoli, Mm -hmm. who's the real life name of a woman who runs the James Bond franchise. Mm -hmm. This is her take that it is a character. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I do see like a continuity with the character. I don't think it would work, but I, I would be fine with like sure have a 007 just have her. Well, the, the whole 007 continuity doesn't make any sense. Oh like, no! So I'm that, not gonna. I'm not too concerned about that's that. That's also very true. Yeah. Like it's not like this is a an airtight thing or anything. No, and it's also not like you know Spider Man where you have like the Sam Spider-Man. Raimi and then you have the Mark Webb and then you've got now whatever they're doing with uh, the I don't know who directs the new Spider Man movies. It's kind of interchangeable. I forget. But like you have very three distinct eras of these and you have very distinct reboot points. Whereas James Mm -hmm. Bond feels a little bit more seamless. Where it's a little tongue in cheek at the beginning where they're like, oh, I guess it's not. Like when they did uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, George Lazenby, the woman runs away from him and he looks at the camera and he goes, this wouldn't happen to the other fellow, referring to Sean Connery. So it's kind of tongue in cheek. And like Gold, GoldenEye starts with a bunch of low shots and background shots of Pierce Brosnan because he kind of looks like Timothy Dalton. So you're like, I don't know. So it's a little bit more Girl seamless than better. like, here's a hard reboot. Like Casino Royale was more of like, here's a hard reboot. But even then right. you're watching it, you're like, is this a prequel? Is this a reboot? What's going on here? And you just kind of don't necessarily care. I think that there would be initial reaction to of a female James Bond, just like there was reaction to we can't have a black James Bond with Idris Elba, even though that was perfect. There was some poll that said most people could be okay with that, but not with a female James Bond. Well, I mean, I guess we're moving in the right direction. I guess we're <laughs> you just find something else people are mad about, and then they're fine with the last thing. But like, there's no distinct reboot point. People are going to get over this, and we're just oh, going to be I mean, looking at this obviously. in like 15, 20 years and being like, oh, it's just how it works now. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. I wonder that like if. If, if if when you make these changes, you know there's going to be this giant blowback, which is just how the internet works and how cultural change works or how mm-hmm. anything works. People are being like, going to be like, SJW, keep your politics out of my James Bond movie, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you're right, it always passes. But like the fear of that blowback is, yeah. I think, is real. It can like actually stop people from doing it. And of course, it's used it like I saw Pierce Morgan today saying like, like no female James Bond on my watch, which was his like as, as, as if you're. You lost me this. at Pierce Morgan. <laughs> I know, but it, it's unfortunate how like I can already feel oh, people yeah. are just waiting to turn into a flashpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean that's society. Like people will freak out. Well, that's modern society. I mean they gave society, they, they gave Superman a mustache, and people are like, "What? No, what is didn't. this? They took it out." Well, you know, I gave Superman a mustache in my heart. <laughs> Okay, so I think we solved this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, any- we'll never, we'll, we'll never solve this issue. 
but no, let's take credit. We solved this. <laughs> we solved gender so I politics. Think <laughs> I'm the take solution the black. was to do the thing that works for everybody. Get on it. Nobody's ever going to go outside ever again. <laughs> Bomb shelters and silos. That. That's the future. Are there any comments, by the way, or is it like not? Visible? I don't know. I can't find the comments. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sure you're saying all kinds of really interesting stuff, guys, but apparently we can't find the comments today. But I'm um, just. Yell it out loud, and maybe we'll just kind of pick it up. <laughs> Good, you you know that. Thank you, Julie. All right, any other comments before we segue into the second part of our program? Oh, my favorite part of the program. Yes, this is this a part that we call "Song of Dan and a Josh." A song of Dan and Josh. And by the way, there was a lot of news this week we didn't even get to. Like a bunch of people got cast and stuff. You know that Gillian Anderson is playing Margaret Thatcher in The Crown. Yeah, that talk about Scully. blowback. People are upset about that. No, They're they like, weren't. Yeah, they were. They? Oh, Why? yeah. Because she's like British, but she's not really British, but she's kind of British. John Lithgow wasn't British. He played Winston Churchill. I mean, look, I'm not saying that I agree with it. Brits play Americans all the time. It, I think it's the thing where like she was born in London. Then she, she was born in Chicago. She was born in Chicago. She grew up in London. Then she comes back, and it's like, and I can't really blame her for this because it's like I would assume like if you're have dual citizenship like that, yeah. you. It's wherever you are, but like people are like, oh, well, she's in America doing the X Files. She sounds like a Midwestern girl. And then as soon as she does like Graham Norton's show, she's got a Cockney slang. And I'm just like, Ugh, yeah, okay. She's an actor. Actors are have a personality. They just gotta pick up whatever's around them. I don't know. She's herself. I, well, I'm looking I support Julian Anderson. <laughs> but like that's that that's to the point where people are gonna freak out about anything. Like, how dare Julian Anderson play, you know, Margaret Thatcher? Ugh. I didn't even know there was blowback. I would love Julian Anderson. I do. Should go on bomb those Falkland Islands. Okay. There um, you go. Anyway, a song of Dan. I don't, I don't of endorse Dan- that. <laughs> I'm sorry? I don't endorse that. Well, it's, it already ha- it's done. I'm just kidding. Well, it's just going <laughs> to fictionally. was this stupid? Um, anyway, a song Catlin of Dan two. and Josh. Catlin 2. Only the second Catlin chapter. And we are like a yeah. third through the bookish. All right. So in this chapter, basically, uh, Catlin is Rob has sent her to treat with Renly Baratheon, who mm-hmm. is one of four kings currently knocking around. Maybe even five. No, we haven't got to Billy Gregor yet. Uh, knocking around, claiming the Iron Throne. Um, and his idea is, okay, go treat with Renly, see if mm-hmm. we can get him on our side, and we can team up against the Lannisters. Good idea, right? Good idea. In theory. Um, she gets to his big old camp, and uh, what does she find, Josh Hill? Magnificence. She finds the tournament, and we she find, find speaking of uh, earlier topics that we talked about, she finds Brienne of Tarth. This is Brienne of Tarth, introductory chapter. And, uh... Yay. Uh, Marjorie Margaret Mar- yeah, Marjorie Tyrell. Mar- Tyrell. <laughs> you yeah. call her Marguerite. Uh, yeah, it always uh, throws me off the way it's spelled. I'm like Margaret. Uh, too many e's weird. and a's. I'm like, come on. Daenerys is the same. It's way. like Marjorie. Like, is it, it, it? It's it's one of those Game of Thrones names. That, like, isn't that different than a normal name? Like, you could name somebody Marjorie, and it wouldn't be absurd. But like, it's still it's she's the first thing you get when you Google because mm-hmm. it's not it's it's still a little bit weird, you know. There's a little-known Lannister who was in the show named Uncle Kevin Lannister. Uncle Kevin. It's spelled stupid. I need the Uncle but it's, Kevin, it's, it's uh, Kevin spinoff. He 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 got blew up when Cersei blew up the church. As many did. R.I.P. As many did. The Fallen. Uncle Kevin. And he's actually more in the books. You can get to know him. Yes. But uh, that's one of those names that I think, like, it, it, it's too close. It's too normal. Yeah, <laughs> like, it throws bit. me off. Uncle bit. Kevin. Marjorie is just perfect. Mm-hmm. It's just weird enough. <laughs> anyway, uh, we do meet Brianna Marjorie. We yep. also see a whole lot of Renly, and he is all about pomp and circumstance. Here's a description of what Catelyn sees when she gets to his camp. 
Thousands of coke fires fill the air with a pale smoky haze. The horse lines alone stretched out over leagues. A forest had surely been felled to make the tall staffs that held the banners. Great siege engines lined the grassy verge of the rose of the rose road. Mangalees and trebuchets and rolling rams mounted on wheels taller than a man on horseback. The steel points of pikes flamed red the sunlight as if already blooded, while the pavilions of the knights and high lords sprouted from the grass like silken mushrooms. She saw men with spears and men with swords, men in steel caps and mail shirts, camp followers shredding their charms, archers fletching arrows, teamsters driving wagons, teamsters, swineherds driving pigs, pages running messages, squires honing sores, knights riding palfreys, grooms leading ill-tempered destriers. This is a fearsome lot of men, said Wendell Manderley, observed as they crossed the ancient stone span from Bitterbridge took its name. That it is, Catelyn agreed. I think... I like the description. I think it's very evocative. Like, you know, there's, like, stuff going on in this place. Yeah. It's very extravagant. It is. As well. Martin has said that some of his favorite passages are, like, just things he, like, descriptions he writes. And no one ever comments on them. That they're all in for, like, you know, the big red wedding moments. I feel like we've commented on them quite a bit. I enjoy those. I mean, there's a lot of book here. But, yes, we've done it when we can. Hey, look at the comments. All right. (gasps) Oh, my God. I got the comments to work. (laughs) Great. Julie likes Pierce Brosnan. I like Pierce Brosnan. My mom. She also watches Mayans, Outlander. Wow. We missed a lot with Julie. We did. Sorry, Julie. Outlander. We got to talk about Outlander more. Anyway, um, so yeah, she gets there and she finds that they are playing, they're having a tournament. You know, people on horseback, knock each other down, uh, get out of a fight. Poor Loris. Poor Loris loses to Brienne. And Catelyn is not a fan of this. I think she even calls it a, this is madness, Catelyn Mm -hmm. thought. Real enemies on every side and half the realm in flames, and Renly sits here playing at war like a boy with his first wooden sword. Is that fair? Mm, I don't know. I mean, she's got a low opinion of him, so like, well, I'm, not, I'm not too terribly surprised. It's just like a high opinion. It's like a lukewarm yeah. opinion at best. So she's obviously not going to be super fair. I don't, I don't think it's that unfair. The extravagance of everything is... There's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance here. Tons. Where it's like, I am an important person, capital I-P, important person, yeah. so. I mean, I think, like, her, her, Herman Chris, I'm like, Catelyn's someone who is lost in this war already. Her husband's dead. Mm-hmm. Like, she lost someone important to her. She's going to lose her son and her life before too long. And, you know, here's Renly. Here's this guy who's a good bit of a good time boy who's uh, marching toward King's Landing very slowly, has claimed the throne, claimed the crown, and he's, like, having tournaments and rooming really, real slow, holding big feasts. Yeah. And I, I think to her, it's a little bit like, you're not respecting the seriousness of what you're doing here. This is the war. This is going to get war. ugly. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think she has a, oh, a couple of people line in there, like, you know, this, like, really... Run this generation of people who didn't grow up, mm. like when King's Landing was sacked, yeah. when the Mad King got ousted. Like mm-hmm. they haven't seen that crap. Yeah. This is these are millennials. These are <laughs> these are generation Z millennials. Yes, idea of war where it, it's kind of it's fun. Like and why wouldn't it be? Mm-hmm. You're marching to war. You're going to claim your your throne. You're going to get rich. Mm-hmm. You're going to have glorious fights. And Catelyn is you know more like the uh, Generation X people. Who have, yes, who, who have been to work and they've been through the mill and uh, they've seen suffering. Mm-hmm. This now doesn't work perfectly. But, no, I mean, it, we, it's a little, you know, it's, it's, it's tasteful. We've drawn, we've seen Martin draw on like real life things before. And I feel like this mm-hmm. is a commentary on 
the generations after the baby boomers, the greatest generation where we almost like fetishize like World War II to yeah. the point where it's like, you know, these were men when men were real men and this is like, we got things done and this whole kind of bravado that's been attached to that has been very militarized and that's what we associate it with. Like we associate the baby, where we associate the greatest generation mm -hmm. with World Heroism War II and we associate and the baby boomers with coming out of that generation and being like, okay, this is like how it rich. used to be. And then you get down the line to where we are with like Renly and it's like, well, this is just the way it works. Of course I'm gonna go. Of course I'm gonna sign up and go to war because mm -hmm. it's been glorified and this is how I'm going to be important in the world. And so then he compensates with all of the lavish things that he has, all of the very upfront, in-your-face stylings of his life. It all makes sense. And I feel like that's maybe George R. R. Martin making a comment on that. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, the, the other question is, though, okay, so yes, he's, he's extravagant. He's, he's entitled. He's a little frivolous. Um, he might still make a good king. Like, there's this moment where, you know, Catelyn's getting a little bit heated with, with her lords. Mm -hmm. You know, the one, uh, Lord Randall Tarley, actually, Sam's dad, who is not he, at this point in the show, but he is here in the books. He's like, eh, why you send a woman? Try to send uh, your son to host with us. And it gets a little bit heated on either side. And then only like, kind of laughs it off mm -hmm. and, like, says, you know, he, he, he calms people. And then he goes and, you know, talks to her and shows her what he's doing, makes an offer to Rob. I think Renly... He's, he's not a bad negotiator, like, interpersonal guy. He might not actually be terrible on the throne. Yeah. What do think of that? As opposed to, like, somebody like, I mean, anybody other than Joffrey. Um, oh. or, or a Stannis, who's a lot harder. Or do you need hardness? Anybody but Joffrey. I don't know. I feel like Rob's got it in his blood where he'd be able to figure it out. So. Yeah, Rob. That's, Rob's a good option. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my, that would be my pick, but. Okay. Well, you, you, you know that's not going to happen. <laughs> It's definitely not Joffrey. So no. Anyway, uh, Renly makes Catelyn an offer, mm -hmm. basically saying, um, "You know, look, uh, if Rob bends the knee to me, he can stay in the North. He can even call himself King in the North. Whatever, whatever, whatever. But bend the knee to me, and sure, I will be happy to team up with you. We can take on the Lannisters together. Good offer, bad offer. Bad offer. Oh yeah, don't, Ro don't bend Rob the knee." Why not? Why is it going to bend the freaking knee? Because it's the hubris it's of not bending the knee. Don't bend the knee. Because then you're entering into some sort of like bond, and then you can't like break that in. If you break the oath, I mean, this Renly wants thing. to be king. If you're king, your subjects have to, you know, bend the knee to you. That's they are your vassals. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, I mean, I don't think Rob should bend the knee. I think that, that I'm, I'm looking at it from his perspective, and it's like Rob's perspective. Yeah, because he because what he wants is independence for the North. Yeah, so it's like you're not going to want to involve yourself in something that's going to continue to just keep things the way that they are. Well, yeah, but then if you don't bend the knee, uh, then really doesn't work with you, and then maybe you don't have the backup you need to. I don't know fight the phrase and not get killed at a wedding or something. That's true. I guess it depends on how much Rob thinks he's going to be king. So, I mean, Rob thinks he's going to be king of the north. He 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 doesn't want the Iron Throne. No, but really also the does. people of the north are very proud people as we They are. But I mean, you know, it's been generations. They've bowed to other people they never particularly liked it, but they did it. They've bowed to the Targaryens. They were subjects of Robert. I don't know. That's that teenage spunk in him. That that fire <laughs> that he's got. Got to had to spoon. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Okay. Anyway, Brienne. We also meet Brienne here. Makes a pretty good impression. Excellent impression. Well, uh, why? What, what, what do you think? What do you think of her introduction? I don't know. It was a really cool introduction. 
It's like, because I feel like it was set up to be like, oh, this is, he just got beat by another male knight. Oh, totally. Like, oh, yeah. Excuse we, we me. Don't this know. is Brienne of Tarth. And it's a complete plot twist. She describes him as just the first glimpse of a big knight in blue armor. And she just like, that's, of course she assumes that it's a man. Mm-hmm. She doesn't, because that's weird. But I thought that was, that was a cool twist. Because I didn't know that Brienne was introduced in this chapter, too. So even oh, yeah. though I know who she is and the Did story, I was like, Did you know, oh, cool. like, when they mentioned, like, a big knight in blue armor beating up guys, did you think, like, oh, probably Brienne? Or were you surprised? No, I was trying to figure out who it was. And I was like, because I was getting like the mountain vibes from it. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, is this some? Did I like miss? Because then we've gone over characters that aren't necessarily big on the show, but they're in the books. So I was like, I wonder if maybe this is like, you know. I actually at one point pictured the Bud Light Knight. So <laughs> there was that. <laughs> he, is, he has made I was his, like, uh, my God, the crossover. But no, it was really cool to have Brienne, that, that introduction, I think, really. I can see why people would be invested in her character from the jump there. She is very, very likable. Mm -hmm. She is very, very kind of a... I mean, again, like, she's with Renly's millennial group. Like, Mm -hmm. she she does have a a lot of naivete about her. Like, when Catelyn says, you know, this won't last. They're the Knights of Summer and winter is coming. She's basically like, no, we are great. We are pure. I think I even wrote it down. Oh, I do like the description. Out of armor, her body seemed ungainly, broad of hip and thick of limb, with hunched muscular shoulders and no bosom to speak of. And it was clear from her every action that Brienne knew it and suffered for it. She spoke only in answer and seldom lifted her gaze from her food. It's it's an interesting contrast, right? That she's this powerful, like, strong woman, but because she is so non-traditional looking... Mm-hmm. And because she's so aggressively does not fit into the role we're supposed to have, mm-hmm. she's she's made fun of like every second of every day of her life. Yeah, the only time she feels comfortable is when she's wailing on somebody in a suit of armor. Otherwise, it's she it's it's a horror show mm-hmm. because her it's just it's all awkwardness because there's no place for her out of armor. No, there's none, not in the society. No, and I mean I'd have a lot of pent up rage too, and you know I feel like that's very cathartic, but. There's just so many fascinating qualities to Brienne's character. I agree. And you get a lot of it right away. So I she was one of my favorite characters on the show. And sure. already I'm just like, okay, I'm in, in the books. And it's also trying to picture Gwendolyn Christie versus all of these descriptions that you have, which I understand. It's true. You know, we're looking different from the show to the book. Oh, of but. course. Like, they describe her as, you know, again, I just read that thing about her being so ungainly. They describe her as, like, and lots it was of freckles. Like, it, it, hit, it hit hard. It's like, yeah. man, that the description's just like, wow, that's visceral. What do you think of Catelyn's comment? Uh, like, Catelyn um, sees her and sees her like, oh, it's pretty cool. But she also says, uh, pity filled Catelyn's heart. Is there any creature on earth as unfortunate as an ugly woman? Yeah, I mean, that's it's rough. It's very rough. It's a tough I mean, break, but I think that that's where Catelyn's coming from as a like you know she is a woman who fits into she has a role in society. Yeah. And again, this society as a woman, you have things you do mm-hmm. like you don't do this. You don't do what Brienne's doing. And I mean, if your role is to to be married and to have kids, like yeah, you, you, your looks are your currency in a way that it's just not true of if you're a man. And that's why Brienne is so beaten down when she's not beating down other people mm-hmm. and so kind of quiet and reticent and um reserved is because she doesn't fit in and she doesn't fit that role at all and so she, she just draws into herself yeah. and i think catelyn sees that like in this if, you, if you're an ugly woman in this society yeah you're gonna have a lot of problems so that comment is you know it's a little unfortunate 
but I do think it reflects something that's real as far as living in this world goes. Julie says, how dare anyone not do what Catelyn thinks they should be doing? I mean, she doesn't say not to do it, Julie. True. In fact, as we know, Catelyn comes to really appreciate Brienne. I think she appreciates Brienne now. Mm-hmm. Just, um, she has pity for her. Well, and I mean, pity she... and appreciation are two very different things, I think, but... I think there's there's yeah. the admiration of she's doing something out the beaten trail. There's She's not conforming. And Catelyn's kind of like, she's not conforming because she's got no other options, but... I don't know about I think that. Th- I think there's an appreciation or a respect that Catelyn has for that. In this chapter, it's mostly pity. I guess I'm giving Catelyn too much credit. I mean, I think in this chapter. I mean, you wrote the chapter too. I yeah. think in this chapter, it's it's mostly, when she talks about Brienne, it's mostly, mm-hmm. oh, you poor girl. <laughs> Which, again, I, I think it's a valid response to have. But as we know, it'll grow. And it's not that she hates Brienne. Oh, she's no. just, she's. this is so unusual to see in this mm-hmm. world. And by the way, the commons are with her. Like, what... Oh. They cheer for Loras in the in the debate. They boo Brienne before she unlocks the helmet because mm-hmm. Loras is popular. Loras is the cool kid. Mm-hmm. Loras fits in. Loras is the badass knight. And of course, that it's subverted a little bit because he's because he's actually gay. But we don't really know that. Which we can have a whole conversation about it. But I have opinions on that. Yeah. Um. But that's probably for a little later. Do we get a Loras chapter? We don't. No. That, that's kind of my problem. We, we, we never get a Loras chapter. We never get a Renly chapter. Hmm. He kind of hides the gays. Uh, in the books, yeah. it's actually I, I, it's actually kind of better on the show because it's more open. About they are it. very open on the show. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say. I mean, it's kind of stereotypical on the show too because you know they cast like a willowy haired dude as Loras. He's supposed to be like butcher, but um, <laughs> at the same. Oh, then again, they describe us pretty pretty here too. It's a whole thing. <laughs> Gender politics, sexual politics, uh, are all good topics. Week. Anyway, uh, I think it's a solid chapter. It ends with um, you know. Renly uh, t- talking to Catelyn like, I'm definitely going to be king. Join up with me. No one's going to fight me. And then a messenger comes and says, oh, your brother Stannis is calling himself king and wants to fight. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? <laughs> Which is a, a solid way to end. Mm, yeah. So Renly not as uh, sure as he thinks he is. Mm. So you're saying that he's overcompensating with all of his... I don't think he's overcompensating. I think he's just young and really... Full of piss and vinegar, which is not a swear when it's used in that phrase, I think. And uh, just expects things to go easier for him mm. than they will. Millennials. Millennials. We're both millennials. We haven't talked about that. I'm barely a millennial, but I am. Um, and of course, and Renly, not, as he points out to Catelyn, is the younger brother. Doesn't really have a claim to the mm. throne exactly. But yeah. he... He thinks he's so much more likable than Stannis that he will make a better king. So he's just going to push it anyway. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that more when we get uh, back to Captain 3. When we'll see Stannis and Renly together, mixing it up. More Brienne, more Catelyn, more Stannis, more Renly. More like the Brady Bunch. Assorted lords. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts, Josh? No. Do we want to talk about your vocabulary word of the week? Did I put one down? Oh, you yeah, did. I did. You put down Dandel. Dandel. Yeah, there was a guy who was dandling a serving wench in his lap, and I was like, what does that mean? I love how in parentheses you put, to move, parentheses, a baby or young child. I just copied paste the definition from Google. <laughs> to dandle. And then I'm just like picturing like Michael Jackson like dandling. Like. No! <laughs> Don't bring up Michael Jackson doing anything least of all dandling. Hey, it says right there the definition. There we go. And if anything, you put that in my head, Dan. No, I didn't. I Stop come on this show to talk about the out. great literature of George R. R. Martin, and you're 
dandling my thoughts over a railing. It's like, it's incredible. Anyway, I mean, the, the word dandled, but the, the reason I put it down was because, again, I, I, I didn't know what it meant. And now I do. But uh, it's kind of a, a fun use of it because it's supposed to be for a baby or a small child. He's using it to describe a guy with like a winch in his lap, yeah. you know, doing some handsy stuff under the table <laughs> for the feast. Um, so George and Martin having some fun with language because language is very fun. It is. And we should uh, learn more about it. And I don't know where the frick your brain's going with it, but um, we'll it pick up that mystery next week. It was a doodle handle. <laughs> we'll be back next week, Wednesday, 4 p.m. Uh, Josh will be back here next week as Mia's still on vacation. Mm-hmm. We're also on iTunes, Google Play, and podcast form if you want to listen to us there. Thanks so much for listening and watching, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.